0: My name is Marion Stevens from the Sexual and Reproductive Justice Coalition. I'm facilitating on behalf of the C19 Health Coalition. This webinar has come as a result of our experience of real misunderstanding and lies and fake news. It's become a concept of infodemiology and we're going to learn a little bit more about that. We've got some great speakers lined up. I'm going to ask our first speaker to introduce her experience and topic. Ponsa is a health journalist and media studies scholar, who many of you will be familiar with from her long, truth-telling and incredible Journey from different papers in Bekisise uh, and Health E. She's now hosting a morning breakfast show on Motsuding FM, um, particularly addressing COVID. We're so happy to have you with us, Fonso. So welcome. Tell us why good and bad information around COVID is important.
1: Thank you so much Marion for having me in that incredible intro, no pressure um, but uh, to begin with, you know, I think this is a very important topic, especially if we're trying to understand uh, where information in this era of like we're talking about, there's a there's a lot of information that's out there and some of it's good and some of it's bad. But when it comes to a global pandemic or when it comes to any health issue, as many of us uh, could have witnessed or seen with other health issues before the global pandemic of COVID-19 is that uh, the, the difference between good and bad information is literally life or death. It can be that fatal and it can be uh, the difference between someone surviving and someone uh, being hurt or even dying, and this is why it's so important to discuss this. In my experience, particularly, and I'll talk more about it later when I talk about um, my experience of uh, with the. Uh, 12 to 10 min, uh, 15 minutes slot I have on Muzwedding every morning is that when people do not have the right information, people cannot take the right choices. So with, but when it comes uh, to the idea of right, good and bad information, bad information is not necessarily always just information that is fake, like fake news or information that is is, is wrong, whether deliberately or uh, not, uh, not on purpose. However, sometimes bad information is the fact that the way, particularly from a journalistic point of view, the way in which us as journalists report on an issue, we have the ability to amplify it or to make, to cause alarm where people panic, which is a bad thing. We can be saying, or we can be providing people with the right information, but if you cause panic, um, panic, there's no space or there's no place for panic within a global pandemic. And so it's important that even when we are sharing the right the right information, the good information as we're speaking about, is that it, the tone and the manner in which we share it matters more than just the information itself. It is important that we contextualize it. Uh, there's a lot of research that has been done um, uh, even before COVID around other, like during the, the SARS, uh, like when there was an outbreak a few years ago and what happens uh, when there is an infectious disease out there and how uh, how, how an outbreak is reported. And a lot of research has revealed that, particularly from a media point of view or from an advocacy communications point of view, when information is communicated in a very alarmist way, this causes panic in the public. And what panic does is that, as we saw as well in our experience here in South Africa and across the world, it induces panic buying, it and it does the opposite of actually protecting people uh, or making sure that people are protected against the outbreak. So, for instance, uh, the first few uh, weeks of the pandemic in South Africa or the outbreak before it was even like, it was already a global pandemic, but our numbers hadn't risen so much in the country. We saw lots of lots of lines at shops like Macro, at big uh, retailers where people were buying, um, were buying, uh, panic buying and, and stocking up because of kind of like, the alarmist way in which we were talking about COVID-19, we were talking about other infections that were happening in South Africa. And during that time, it's very important to remember that the context in which these infections were happening, that we didn't have any community trans, uh, transmissions at that point. So there was no need to be that alarmed. But one of the things that comes out in looking at outbreak reporting is that while we give, uh, while as journalists or as advocacy people we talk about the numbers so how many daily infections they are what is the death toll and whatever else other information that is provided daily we do not talk we do not remind um we do not remind readers the public about the preventative measures. In the beginning of an outbreak or a global pandemic, such as the one that we're in, it is very important that we provide people with information such as what is COVID-19? How do you contract it? How can you prevent it? What are your chances of, uh, like, you know, like, what are your risk factors? And we need to constantly, while doing the Awareness raising around how many infections we have or the risk for health workers for community health care workers, we need to also take that as an opportunity to remind ourselves and the public of the preventative measures that are that are out there That is quite important, particularly because we people forget and we're creatures of habit, so we only remember things when we hear them. Um, when we have them over and over again and so even in the in, as as in conclusion as we start this conversation even when we are talking about good information there is a way they are uh, there are bad consequences that can be attached to good information if we were not critical and if we do not really uh, we talk about the good factual factually correct and truthful information in a way that is responsible and does not cause panic or does not uh, cause more confusion and also that we provide all the information, not just the bad on the statistics and the death toll, but also the information that empowers the public to be able to know how to prevent the, how to prevent, uh, uh, contracting uh, the virus or any other way in which that could help lower their risk as the public to contracting the virus. And so I think with that, um, as we go into the conversation, as I said later on, uh, I'll be speaking about what exactly at Motoring FMI do. But I think it's very important to set the tone around what is bad information, what is good information, and how both can be lethal. But how both can also, how one of it, which is good, truthful information, can be a tool that is used to change attitudes, to make people more aware, and to, to lower the, the infection rates by changing the behaviors of, uh, of the public and the community.
0: Brilliant. Thank you so much, um, Ponsor. I'm going to hand over to Peter now. Peter is the Director of Health Enabled, part of the People's Health Movement and the Muesenberg Can. Thank you, Peter.
2: Great. Thank you very much, Marian. My task is to tell you about a really strange word that people are starting to use, and that's the word infodemiology. The first time I heard it was in a speech a couple of um, weeks ago by the Director General of the World Health Organization, uh, Tedros, from Ethiopia. We're not just fighting a pandemic, we're fighting an infodemic. And another simple way of saying that is that lies spread faster than truth. And we've seen that a huge amount in um, the last few months around COVID. Where does that word come from? Well, infodemic comes from first bit of information, and you all know what that means, and the last bit of epidemic. And as you know, epidemic is uh, how diseases spread. You might know the word epidemiology, which is the science, the study of the spread of diseases. Well, the uh, the definition uh, that has been used, is that um, um, an infodemic is an overabundance of information, some accurate and some not, which occurs during an uh, epidemic. Uh, Like the virus is an epidemic, misinformation spreads far and fast and adds to complexity to the health emergency response. An infodemic cannot be eliminated, but it can be managed. And that's what we're talking about here, understanding the good and bad information, as Ponceau has been telling us, and working out how responsibly to deal with that um, in a public health crisis. And infodemiology is the science of managing uh, infodemics. There was a conference on this about two weeks ago, the first conference on infodemiology that the World Health Organization organized. And it was... People around the world, about 150 people, from um, medical, clinical science, to uh, epidemiology, to media studies, to um, web, internet, um, many people involved. And in short, it was talking about the comparisons between managing an epidemic, as you see there, the stages of surveillance, technovirus, the, the disease and the interventions, to infodemics, um, going through the same stages. You need to listen to what's going on, understand the narratives, deal with the distrust, and do the, um, the interventions in much the same way as you've heard, flattening the curve, trying to support behaviors that reduce uh, further infections and the spread of the infidemic. We're talking about many, many different media and channels. From the broadcast media, TV, radio, newspapers, all that Uh, we're familiar with. Then in the last decade or two, all the electronic media, all those things that uh, my teenagers show me how to do and I vaguely understand. From all the websites, Facebook, um, WhatsApp, Reddit, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, Twitter, you can uh, keep going. And also, as importantly, is the personal communications. Whether, I won't say face-to-face, let's say masked face to distant face, but conversations directly between people. The phone calls, individual texts, SMS, direct WhatsApp, all those sorts of things. So there are many different ways in which information um, is spread. There's some um, cultural studies approach to this, which obviously it's not just one unit of information that leads to one particular behavior. There's so many uh, different um, other factors that um, deal with how people process and understand um, the, if you know the phrase, knowledge, attitudes and behaviours around the information that comes in. And that's one particular model that's quite often used in cultural studies. And actually, Professor Herman Rassaman from UCT was the only South African at this UN conference, the first one on infodemiology. Okay, again, to say the obvious, Um, what people do and understand is much, there are many more things than just the information that is said. Sometimes it talks about the difference between what the person sending information means and what the person receiving the information understands. Issues of trust and lies and history and confusion and language and attitude and uh, capacity and what your friends say and so many other factors uh, around what information that comes in is actually uh, understood. But again, to say the obvious, good information coming from the government saves lives. It's uh, In the statistics we read in the newspaper or uh, online websites, where there is clear science-based and empathetic, caring about people uh, information, for example, from uh, Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand Uh, Angela Merkel in Germany and uh, in Kerala, that state in India as well, from KK Shalaja, there has been a a much greater um, understanding of what is required, more following what the rules are, trust that the people in authority are actually doing something right, and that directly leads to fewer people catching the virus, therefore fewer people getting sick, some going into hospitals, some dying. Whereas on the other side, I don't need to go through all the stories about the chambolic, misleading, crazy at times, Um, things going on from uh, Donald Trump in the US, um, Bolsonaro in Brazil, and um, Johnson in the UK. Uh, More than coincidentally, all the people in the top group are women. All the group in the bottom are male leaders who often see responding to the pandemic as some tests of virility or uh, how macho they can be, which is about as bad as it can get when you're trying to get over clear information. Okay, where does this information come, from, uh, misinformation and misunderstandings come from? Well, there are many different sources. This is trying to think about how it can be confusing even if people are trying to give you good information. The first thing is around a lot of the language is difficult. How many of you could define epidemiology and exponential and asymptomatic, and uh, PE and R, um, R0 numbers? Uh, and that's what people talk about, and that's what all the um, scientists and people on telly and in the newspapers say. So a lot of it's very complex and misunderstood language, and almost none of it's actually translated. Can any of you tell me what um, those words on the screen are in vendor? Um, It's almost like we as media professionals just haven't done the work to try to make these things uh, understandable. A second point is the science actually changes. What we should be saying changes. Uh, There's a huge amount of science and research going on into COVID in the last few months. And sometimes the guidelines actually change, which is extremely confusing. It's been on-again, off-again suggestions from wearing face masks or not. Great. It's now clear the government says you should every time you're in public or um, around other people. But that's gone backwards and forwards a few times in the last month. So if you pay attention, you're actually going to get confused. And similarly, there's lots of messages up and down around... Um, Are children safe from COVID? Which obviously relates to the big issue of going to school, um, whether the the schools should reopen. But the science has changed. There are new papers coming out at least every week, often every day. Also, the official governments only partly follow the science. If you've uh, followed this, there's actually a lot of arguments around whether um, the actually excellent public health scientists there are in the country... Are at, they are advising government but whether the government is following that advice or not. In some cases, definitely, yes, it's impressive what uh, the government of President Silva Maposo is doing. In other cases, not, not at all. There's, there are other political and economic issues, of course, that come in. A couple of obvious examples. It's lunatic to have 100% uh, taxi occupation in uh, short-distance taxis. But that's what the taxi industry in you know, a push against government, they want. It's also, I'd say, not a cool idea to have 50 people in churches uh, singing, which means um, actually uh, spraying in some ways. If there's someone in virus, that's called a super spreader. And the other 49 people can catch it as well. So, government's official guidelines also sometimes don't follow the science. And then, where do people most get this sort of information? Well, a lot of it from the mass media, we'll talk about social media in a moment, but mass media, that's TV, radio, newspapers, things like that, journalists almost always try to give useful information, but good journalism is not the same as scientific rigor. If the scientists say there's a 95% chance that this might be true, but we have to get other people to check it before, that's not a headline. So media often wants to cut through the confusion. Don't tell me all the details, just tell me you have to stay home or your your children are at risk. So there's, from the sensationalism and trying to make it clear and easy and understandable, often some of the actual science gets lost. Moving on. So now that was previously where people are actually trying to be responsible and give you good information but there are quite a lot of other people out there who are not. Sometimes it's just because people want simple explanations. It's comforting. It it feels clear that you can understand something. Like there was that hoax of 5G, the fifth generation of mobile phones, telecommunications causes COVID. That's rubbish. But that was a massive, uh, big explanation. Another of the conspiracy theories, I don't know if you've heard of Plandemic, which was a Um, a, a well, supposed documentary that came out a couple of months ago, there was a pure, um, the conspiracy theory. But as so many conspiracy theories, they actually touch on real things, uh, which makes it much harder to disprove. From pandemic, I actually think it's true, governments sometimes lie, but that's not the main story. I also think it's true that uh, a lot of pharmaceutical companies are trying to make profit and aren't acting out to benefit everyone, but that's not the main story of COVID. I think it's also true that in some ways I mistrust what Bill Gates is doing with his foundation, but that's also not the main story. So there are lots of different conspiracy theories that are out there. Sometimes people trying to uh, confuse people, other times it's just they want a, a story to understand. Often these things meet with other prejudices out there uh, I've heard from many people saying the foreigners are responsible. We want to get the Zimbabweans and Mozambicans and Congolese out of the country because they bring COVID. Obviously rubbish, but that's exactly what, uh, where fears build on previous um, uh, fears that people have that very easily can spread misinformation. You also can um, have responses now based on things you've learned earlier, early associations. For many people, the, the main other time they've heard the word virus is around HIV, human immunodeficiency virus. So is this COVID virus the same as that virus? And what a lot of the science is saying is it's a virus, perhaps like HIV, but there's no treatment. So does that mean it's like HIV before ARVs, which was terrifying? So you can understand where some of these things fears uh, come from. Other times, people intentionally put things out for financial gain. Anti-vax, as it's sometimes called, and people who are against any form of vaccinations. A lot of that messaging is put out by nutritional supplement companies, companies who make money from people not uh, taking um, the vaccinations, the immunizations they should. Also there's political gain. As we know from Trump in the US, just at times lunatic, talking about uh, completely unproven um, medicines, uh, hydroxychloroquine is the one he keeps talking about. He even once told the media you should drink bleach, because that'll clean your insides. So that's just stupidity, ignorance, but also it goes into he's trying to blame on the, his political opponents, Democrats in some areas. At times he calls it the Chinese virus, uh, to try and pin all the blame on China. You probably have heard of Trump. You may not have heard of uh, President Viktor Orbán from Hungary, who is also a right wing, quite nasty demagogue, and for a long time he's been trying to motivate people against immigrants, and he's got that story out. COVID is caused by immigrants. And because in that country the government controls almost all media, there are 400 separate media outlets that Orbán's government controls in Hungary, that's the main story. That's what people get. So these things can be used for political gain. And even closer to home in Zimbabwe, the, as you may know, there's a lot of unrest, people feeling that the uh, President Mugabe's government is in many ways actually worse than President Mugabe. And so the government is trying to keep people off the streets and in the last month or so, and one of the ways they do that is saying, you have to social distance, you have to go home because of COVID. If you're on the streets, we can arrest you because of COVID. There are even stories that um, some of the deaths uh, can be attributed to COVID that are for other reasons. So absolutely, the politicians can gain from this. And more generally, what you've heard, called fake news or disinformation, and often the goal of disinformation is not to persuade people of a different message, of an untrue message, it's to throw up a thousand different stories to confuse people with multiple messages. And a phrase that comes to all of this, if nothing is true, then everything is possible. If people don't believe, trust in one authority, any people can get away with anything. Because if anyone accuses Trump of anything, ah, it's fake news, ignore it. So social media absolutely reinforces this, as we're going to hear around WhatsApp in a moment. And social media, it can be a group of people just talking to each other, what's often called an echo chamber. They all agree, so they all say the same things to each other. For example, that vaccinations cause autism, which is crazy but a lot of people are saying that based on uh, one report that everyone has said is terrible and it's been retracted. But if, if 100 people are saying this to each other every day, even if you get one good bit of information, that won't change people's minds. So if there's often repeated untruths, it's very difficult to uh, challenge that. So there are a couple of techniques for this. Uh, the CC Center for Disease Control in the U.S., has got a center for crisis uh, and emergency risk communications, which goes through a whole set of, if you like, um, guidelines of how to get information out there that people can trust to start to change attitudes, which can change behaviors, which can change how the medical epidemic is going. And as you see on the screen, be first, be right, be credible, um, express it empathetically, promote action and show respect. And there's lots of details around there. You can see the web link, the URL on the screen, or in the chat, we can talk about that a bit more. There's another quite cool book called Calling Bullshit, which is a training course on basically understanding how you're being lied to, through different language and particularly a lot of statistics out there. So infidemiology is a thing. The WHO now says this is a major uh, way you have to deal with public health. It's not just enough to get the the vaccine and the doctors and the test kits out there. If you're actually trying to change behavior, which is the main thing that will influence how far COVID goes and the impact, then you need to, uh, if you like, claim the narrative, let people know uh, how to get good information and where possible go out as fast to challenge the poor information out there. It's in many ways like trying to get people to do good general behavior on the epidemic, and rush in where there's a particular outbreak of the virus or disinformation that's going on. So that's some of the ideas behind what's been called intrademiology, and now onto some other good examples that you can find from South Africa. Over to you, Marion.
0: Thanks, Peter. I'm going to hand back to Ponso now, who's going to be talking about her experience leading the Motoring breakfast show and um, how that's been for her.
1: Thank you so much again, Marion. So just for clarification, I'm not, I don't, I'm not the host host of the show. I just come in for the three hour session to speak for about 15 minutes every Monday to Friday on COVID. It's the COVID update, essentially. It started off, um, actually, just to give a bit of, uh, background, um, about, um, probably maybe, uh, about late last year, while I was still at Health E, uh, we got approached by Motsweding FM and Ukuzi FM to start giving kind of like a, a biweekly update on health issues on the morning radio shows. And then, um, then of course, earlier this year, COVID happened, and then it left us uh, in a mess. And and so we, I went from doing it once a week, once every two weeks. Uh, once every week and then now five days uh, every week and it's because really one of the most important ideas around what the producer Marco Bedi had an idea around it is that there is so much information that is available in English around the pandemic but uh, the 1.2 million uh, morning show listeners at Mutsoiding FM don't get to hear that in their own languages so for for the three-hour slot, every day I come in just for a little while to give information, uh, critical information on the latest developments on COVID, whether it's not just about giving the numbers. So if there is an, uh, a new study that has come out that says something has been uh, discovered, what the implications of COVID are for gender, for working people, explaining the Uh, Sasa 350 grants properly, explaining how people can still access certain um, health services during this time, who's at risk, and all that. And so, I actually think about that uh, segment as I'm speaking, I'm I'm not just translating this information to Sitswana. First, I take the information, which is usually available quite very scientifically. I, just, I translate it from the scientific language into English, right? Because as a health reporter, I am kind of, more skilled in understanding the technical nature of or the scientific uh, the scientific rigor in studies or in the information that we 're given around covid nineteen so it 's a process of first translating it into English and then translating the English into Sitswana and Peter mentioned the idea of language accessibility and asked, what are certain words in chivenda? I have the same problem so the I speak in the morning at about seven o'clock seven half past seven and so in the evening or very early in the morning before I speak I'm on the phone with my mother with my father and or I I have my Setswana English dictionary open going through trying to find some words or try to translate some of the scientific words into Setswana so that I even when I'm explaining some of the more scientifically complex terms that is still in the Satana language so that there's not a lot of English, but that's, that's, it I would say in the first two months april uh, April and may um we didn't i was using the word quarantine or isolation or lockdown because there hadn't been translations yet or terms that had been created but the pan african um, uh, language Association as well as some scholars have then now created um information on in and in other lang- official languages to understand what that quarantine in Sitswana is Tswalelo, which is essentially closing down or staying in isolation and kind of finding words on how to explain these things in the language, but also still keeping the scientific accuracy of the word, but it is simple enough to understand and then translate into whether it's, in my case, it's Sitswana. But I know of other, um, like it's not just me like i all I, I speak to a lot of friends and colleagues who are uh, always wondering how to explain these things um these uh, covid and developments around covid to their grandmothers to their own parents and so you're seeing that with SABC, SABC has the platform and the resources and the reach on radio to do this. And it's quite really uh, like great, particularly with Motsweding, because I get to now listen to it more than I did before, is that there's so many Department of Health-sponsored ads or sponsored ads by corporate companies that also do the explanation, the, exp- the s- explaining and breaking down of the awareness or the awareness campaigns around COVID in Setswana. I've heard some also on uh, on Ukozi FM that I sometimes listen to, even though my Zulu is very limited, and I've heard it. I've heard people talk about the same thing in Ukobo um, which is an Iskosa National Radio Station. And so when we see The impact, what the impact of this is, what happens on my, on my segment is I also allow at least once a week for the producer to tell me what questions are coming in for me, uh, uh, or that I could answer. And so even when I answer it, I don't answer the questions as an expert. It's very clear. I explain that I am a journalist. I, If I'm not telling you this information because I'm the expert, but i went to research this information for you and I'm giving it to you. This is what the experts are saying. And in some incidences, we've had questions, for example, I think at the beginning of the introduction of masks, you know, people really, on Methoding FM specifically, did not understand what was going on with the mask. They didn't understand why we're saying or why uh, Dr. Zulinkiza was saying masks don't protect you. And for a week, I had to spend doing re-education like and awareness on the science behind wearing a mask and what did this the study say. And a lot of people actually called in in one of the segments as I was on air and they were saying, no, Banzo, you're lying. You cannot tell me that wearing a mask does not protect me and i was sitting there and i was like i'm not saying that the scientists and the experts are saying that when they did a study and then breaking and spending 5 minutes breaking down what is a study and what does how did they do the study why was the study done to begin with and so you see when you do that uh, that there is not just also in the information, but there's also a buy-in into the information by the listeners. Uh, For instance, I think many, one of the first few questions that shocked me as a health reporter was people asking what is the World Health Organization and why do we have to listen to the World Health Organization when it comes to COVID matters? And because for the first time in probably the past few years, the World Health Organization is at center stage even in uh, radio stations like Mosedin, where on a normal day or on normal programming, the World health organizations and information about it is not what what makes the news and now they are inundated with uh, press releases or information that comes from this World Health Organization that they're supposedly supposed to listen to while also they exist within the media landscape or within the public discourse rather, this notion that international or foreign organizations want to control African, um, African countries. And so how do you explain what the Health World Organization is in a way that doesn't further jeopardize? Or how do you share information about the World Health Organization in a way that does not Negatively affect how people perceive information around the uh, the coronavirus, and so these are some of the issues and the nuances of information sharing, and also the the big Chinese wall that exists between the English language and information that is available in English and that is available in all the other languages. We did see the Department of Health really trying to translate a lot of the some of their literature, but it wasn't enough. It, I would say it's. Uh, even I don't think enough resources are being put into uh, in- ensuring that they are digital uh, copies or um, dissemination of these messages because i and 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 it's also again uh, the challenges of the fact that how do you translate this information? Keep it accurate, but still make sure that it 's simple enough. Are, is there resources in terms of budgets? Are there people who understand this it 's on a language or any other language on this level enough to be able to um, to take up the task and do it and it 's also very time consuming a time consuming exercise. It's not the first time that I've had to translate not just health information, but technical information. A couple of years ago, a friend and I uh, created a feminist Sitana dictionary. So we took all the gender terms and all these ideas of what feminism is and we translated it into Sitana. And between me and her, it took us about over a year to properly translate not even like 50 words. And so the process of doing it is also about creating words in a language that it's about changing a language and what a language stands for. So things that were not an issue 10 years ago, and or there was no actual words for it, now there has to be people who sit down and create not just the translation, but words that have meaning and that are deeply rooted within the linguistics of the language so that they make sense within the language. So it's not just taking English words and turning them into uh, Setswana or any other language. Is making sure that the 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 meaning of the word is 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 encapsulated and also fits into the cultural uh, the cultural sense and all the other kind of technical linguistic things of that language and that it is not foreign within that language. And so it's a very I won't lie. I speak for about five to eight minutes every, every day, but it takes me about an hour to 90 minutes to prepare every, every, every day. Because it's that process of finding the information. Sometimes having to make two, three, four calls. So for, for example, my parents speak Sidonia quite fluently, but sometimes I'm unable to explain the science to them in English. Oh, the English definition does not make sense to them. So I spend about twenty minutes on the phone trying to make them understand what I'm trying to say in like explaining it in English so that they can try to find this word in Setsana. And so for instance, another I think a big one is around sanitizing. So the word that has been uh, a some linguists have come up with for sanitizer or sanitizing is which means to make clean but in the context of talking about it in terms of uh, coronavirus we're not just talking about clean as in it looks clean we're talking about it that it is clean on a microscopic level and but i can say i am cleaning my room and use the same words but now the context in which now that linguists have taken that word and made it about you know like microscopic cleanliness, cleanliness on that level of bacteria. I wonder now, in a year's time or two years' time, when Corona is behind us, will the, col- the, the will, will, will the word still be used colloquially for cleaning, or has it changed forever? And these are the implications of language and access uh, to making sure that things are available in this language. And I mean, fifteen minutes or ten to fifteen minutes of a three-hour slot. Once a day is not is not enough, and it would like one thing that civil society can do is uh, rally up its um, rally up its activists and approach national radio stations and ask for ten minute, fifteen minute slots to explain these health to do health literacy in the languages those stations are. It would be great. A lot of the times, particularly in big movements and in coalitions, there is enough. Uh, diversity where you have a uh, Chivenda speaker, a speaker, a Sikosa speaker, and all the languages and all together. And this is how you sell it to them is that it's free content for them. So you're taking away 10 or 15 minutes that they don't have to think about when they're doing their running order for their live show. And that is the cost benefit. You, as the activist or as a movement, you get to get, uh, you get to do the awareness raising and the campaign or uh, or the uh, health literacy in the communities. Because, for instance, with Mutading, it's one point two million listeners. Most of them in uh, in the northwest and in Botswana, but a lot of them also are in other parts of the country. Where, in, never in my career. Have I been able to talk to 1.2 million people that if it's not in English? And so there's 1.2 million people who are better equipped with information that they didn't have before by simply just having a conversation with producers. And so there can be a win-win situation, particularly with these, uh, uh, we don't know how long, we know that we're going to feel the effects of Corona for the next 12 to 18 months as experts have said. And so... What can be done in different health movements in the next twelve to eighteen months on national radio? For example, Ukosi FM is the largest uh, radio station in in South Africa. I wish I spoke fluent isiZulu enough to be able to to go on to Ukosi FM. It has about over seven million listeners daily. What happens? The impact, imagine the impact of having health literacy information about corona or any other health, um, uh, like health issues and challenges we have. About the NHI, imagine there was 10 minutes before corona happened where there was NHI or public health uh, a literacy campaign around telling people about gender-based violence, any, the NHI, or any other um, social issues that we, we deal with in the health kind of sector on Ukosi FM, there'll be 7 million South Africans who are able to access it in the most, uh, in the most, in the easiest way for them to understand. And so that's the reach, uh, that's the reach of radio is particularly in South Africa, particularly with the SABC radio stations and the language stations. And I think that there is a lot of opportunity for activists, for journalists, or for public health experts to use that space in a way that is uh that that really changes or impacts on people's lives positively as i said in the beginning the difference between uh, bad information and inf- and good information is life and death and so if we can fill that gap through our own networks and our own um our own capabilities in the sector we'd be doing uh, work we'd be doing so so much with very little uh, and i think i'll leave it there thank you marion
0: Thanks so much, Paul. so Thanks so much for your leadership um, in this area. It's, it's really inspiring. I'm going to hand over now to Paul McNally, who is a journalist and um, the director of What's Crap on WhatsApp. Paul, over to you. Thank you.
3: Thank you very much. Hello, everyone. Um, good evening. We started producing um, What's Crap on WhatsApp last year in around April. It's a voice note show, which is distributed out on WhatsApp as a way to debunk um, misinformation that exists on WhatsApp. And it came around, as I'm sure all of you have had this problem, in that you have WhatsApp groups that are just full of misinformation and disinformation, and you have no real idea of how to combat that. You can kind of engage someone on that group, like one of your family members or a friend, and you can have an argument with them about that, but it's, it's kind of increasingly difficult to do that. Um, And what we wanted to do is create something that would exist on the platform. So it would exist on WhatsApp in the exact same way as the misinformation does. Um, And in this way, it's a voice note. So it's like a short seven minute podcast that exists as a voice note and is then distributed um, on the WhatsApp platform. So that means the idea is that if someone gets a piece of misinformation and they're like, oh, I actually listened to that on What's Crap on WhatsApp this week being debunked, Um, then you can immediately forward that show to the person who sent you the piece of misinformation. So that was the initial idea. And we had huge, well, first of all, we needed to um, approach someone who knew much more about misinformation and debunking um, facts uh, than, than we did. So we approached Africa check with the idea. So they are also based in Bramfontein at Bits University. So we approached Africa check. They liked the idea and we went into a, a 50-50 partnership around What's Crap on WhatsApp, um, producing the show initially every month, but now we produce it every two weeks. So Africa Check, for those who don't know, it was established in 2012. They're all across the continent and they specialize in um, fact-checking. They're basically the leader, I'd say, in South Africa, at least, in terms of fact-checking organization. Why WhatsApp? That was something that um, people have asked us. It is available as a normal podcast, but um, we prim- are primarily our audience is is, at, is on WhatsApp. Well, I mean, there's 1.5 billion people who use WhatsApp, and as you all know, unlike something like Facebook, where you you know that can, and especially Twitter that is very open as a social media platform, WhatsApp is incredibly closed because of the encryption end to end. It's very difficult to get in there. It's difficult to kind of get data. Even the people that own WhatsApp, at least if we're to believe them. Um, we, they don't know what's going on inside these groups. They don't know what's going on inside these messages. And that's how we kind of want it, because we want that, that privacy. The trouble when it comes to trying to combat misinformation is that that means um, it's very difficult to kind of get into that family group and debunk something. So we found that WhatsApp, uh, what's Crap on WhatsApp was a perfect way to do that. So we now have just over, actually, it's a little bit more now since we did the slides. So it's about five and a half thousand subscribers. On broadcast lists and this number is growing so the interesting part about that is that we do it all manually so we don't have um, a back-end we don't have it's incredibly expensive it's prohibitively expensive to kind of produce a back-end and it doesn't work as well as you'd want it to like Facebook who own WhatsApp they don't want you to be able to send out mass messaging in this way. They don't really want WhatsApp to be used for that, especially in a voice note capacity. So we do it all manually. So we do it with what they call broadcast lists. And there's 256 people on each broadcast list. And we have one phone that sits in Bramfontein. And um, Taryn, the intern at um, Africa Check, puts out the show on the Friday on these broadcast lists. And the, you know it's at the point where the phone feels like it's about to explode, that it's so overworked. But we found that doing it manually is sort of the best way to do that. Um, And the reason why we've managed to hit these 5,000 subscribers um, is because of COVID. So basically at the beginning of this year, I think we were on 2,000. And and that was over a long period from uh, like almost a year it took to get to 2,000 people. And then just from February this year to now, we've gone from two to five. And that's because people are scared. Like people are worried about... The misinformation that they're receiving in these WhatsApp groups, and there's a, there's this kind of real sense of urgency that I think wasn't there before. That this misinformation, like someone said, uh, like Peter said earlier, is a sense of life and death. Sorry, Poncho said that. So we were covered by all the main media houses. We got um, uh, like lots of coverage in all sorts of shapes and forms. Um, but like I, like I said, it was actually COVID that's really pushed us. Um, into the consciousness way more than any kind of media. Because it was striking a nerve, right? So 49% of South Africans say WhatsApp is their primary network for sharing and discussing news, 49%. And South Africa does have one of the highest pickup rates for WhatsApp in the world. Um, But I mean, it's growing in many other countries. But when you think about what people find as reliable and what people find as news that they can kind of trust, um, they're more likely to find, um, to trust something that comes from someone that they know, right? So if they're, even if, you know, you've got people that are very um, aware of misinformation, but those that aren't, if they receive something from their father or mother or grandfather, and it's coming from what they consider a trusted source, then they're more likely to believe that possibly than from a, from a mainstream news source. So people are concerned about this. And this is something that I think is really fascinating and something that people were picking up on earlier is that this idea of echo chambers. And this is something that we talk about all the time um, in that even though we have this relatively large subscriber base, they are people that are also interested in misinformation and disinformation and debunking it, right? They kind of, they, they have uh, an interest in that type of journalism. And that's great, and we're happy to um, give them the show. But really what we want is for people who aren't interested in this kind of a journalism, who possibly, who would believe something if it wasn't for the show, we want them to come into contact with it. Uh, and we're busy in um, collaboration with some academics at Harvard who approached us, um, and they're busy doing a study on, the user base of WhatsApp and WhatsApp as a way of behaviour change. So we're going to bring in and in two thousand entirely new people, um, which is going to make the phone um, under more stress. Uh, and um, we're going to so it's it's we're going to bring two thousand entirely new people on, and we're going to um, basically conduct a study around if the show is changing people's behavior around misinformation. And I think what's exciting about that is that those people will be paid like as a study and they won't be necessarily the kinds of people that you would that would gravitate towards this kind of um, content. So this is just quickly on how it works. You've got to save your number into our phone, so please feel free to take the number down, 082 709 3527, put the number into your phone and then send us a message and you'll get the show. We just actually recorded a show today um, and we'll be sending it out tomorrow. So it sends out every other Friday. You can also, this is the other thing about WhatsApp, which is so exciting to me, is that you don't just get to send out the show. You also get to communicate and interact with your user base in a way that you don't under, in a usual podcasting sense. So what's great is people send us misinformation and dodgy claims that they have received in their WhatsApp groups. They send them to us, and then we debunk them. So that kind of level of interaction is really exciting. Um, so they can, so, and, and we can kind of build up this database, which I'll get to in a minute. So these are just some of our claims. Um, I mean, now we're mostly preoccupied with COVID claims. Um, I mean, to, to go into some of them very briefly is that we did one last week, which was about, um, if, can hand sanitizer explode if left in a hot car? Like, those are the kinds of things. So it's kind of, they're, they're, you know, the claims are evolving um, as COVID is is preoccupying people. Um, and just so you know, um, it can't explode in a hot car. But, you know, it's, what's interesting is the things that really do well, the things that really we debunk and that get sent to us multiple times are the things that play on people's fears, as you can imagine. They are um, things that kind of people feel that could possibly be true. We have a lot of claims that are around crime um, and those are usually quite elaborate, right? So there'll be, there'll be things like if there's a tennis ball that's full of explosives that's been left on someone's lawn and then if you come out of your house and you pick up that tennis ball full of explosives and it explodes and it, and it damages your hands, and then you're left vulnerable, and then a, cri- a criminal can come out of the bushes and rob you. That th- th- we get many, many claims of those kinds of stories, like really elaborate hijacking stories. Not just you were hijacked, but that this is a new scam. This is a new way that criminals are operating. Um, and those were before COVID. Those were our most prominent things. Um, now we've got things like um, around the hand sanitizer, like I said, also ones of like. People, we had one where there was a boy in a hospital bed and um, a, a father was appealing to people to save his son who was dying of COVID-19. And when we did a check on that, we found that the, the photo of the father was actually a stock photo. It was actually from a stock library. And the photo from the, of the son was a real, uh, like, I mean, they're real people, but it was a son that was in a hospital, but way before COVID-19 was, even existed. So basically, that was a deliberate ploy to kind of prey on people's emotions around COVID nineteen, and we see a lot of that. I mean, incidentally, that 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 um, claim linked to a site which was then to sell Bitcoin. So there you go. Um, so this is a quick um, just peek behind the curtain. It's like this is our Trello board where we document all our different. Um, claims so we have them all under different topics and these are the ones that people send in and this is how we can kind of build this database of really what is affecting people um, and what they're kind of getting sent in not just that i mean the the most of our subscribers are in south africa but we also have some that are international so this kind of builds that database and i think it's important that it's not just a podcast it's not just a, a voice note but it's also this like wealth of data around what is um, being debunked what needs to be debunked in a society so this is just a quick picture of us recording that on uh, Kate on the left she was um recording in our booth here at volume before COVID-19 and this is how we record now like in uh our cupboard uh, we're she's in her house and I'm in mine and that's basically how we do our recordings now it's all done remotely um so we've had very good feedback we've had um great responses from people. Like I mentioned now, we're going forward with the study. Um, and and what's exciting about that is we're gonna be able to try different formats of the show. So at the moment, we we it's pretty short, it's like five to 10 minutes, um, but we're gonna try a much shorter version, like two minutes, um, and to see how that changes people's behavior, or if it changes people's behavior in a different way to the seven minute version. We're also looking at how like radio, um, th- this radio format, um, compares to um, text versions of the exact same claims so what we're kind of trying to break into is like what is it that changes people's opinion of information and and what's exciting is that we're also looking at like the way that you receive information is so important to if you believe it or not and a lot of that hinges on like if you like the hosts you know if you like the organizations that are producing the show like those are things that we can't, I mean, you know, it has been suggested that we swap out all the hosts and make something completely different to see if it changes behavior. And we're going to see about how we can, uh, the different versions of what we can do. So there are some challenges. Um, breaking out of these WhatsApp bubbles, like um, which, I, which I mentioned earlier, is still a real challenge. So, you know, we are still confined to certain groups and the ability for people to find us and subscribe. Um, We're finding that we're trying to break out of these groups by being a regular podcast, ironically, that like, if that's like a whole different space and hopefully an international space. So, so where we've been pushing heavily for people to sign up over WhatsApp, we're now pushing people heavily to sign up also as a podcast just on your Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Cause we kind of feel that that will bring in a different type of audience. Um, and, you know, initially the idea of doing a podcast on WhatsApp, wasn't just because um, that's where the misinformation was, it's also because that's where people that probably won't be accessing a podcast in a regular way, that's where they'll go. Um, You know, data is expensive in South Africa, and if people have a WhatsApp-type bundle, then that means they can get it for free over WhatsApp. You know, any kind of um, audio or video kind of feeds into that bundle, and that was part of the reasoning behind it. And I still think that holds, Um, but, You know, we want to expand and we want to try and see if um, we can uh, exist as a podcast in our own right. Um, Like I mentioned, there's restrictions on the platform. People that built very expensive backends for their WhatsApp um, media distribution strategies have um, come quite short in the fact that WhatsApp, uh, Facebook reserves the right to kind of change the game on, on you at a whim. Um, uh, you know, they might get rid of broadcast lists entirely, which is how we distribute the show at the moment. And if they did that, then there'd be a real problem in terms of, like, um, putting it out at all. Um, so, and as I said, like, everything is manual. And that's it. So if you um, want to save our number, that's 0827093527. You just need to put it in your phone and send us a message. Um, And you can download the show at www.volume.africa. That's where, um, that's Volume's website. And we've got all the shows there. We've done 24 episodes as of tomorrow. So, um, yeah, please um, look us up and have a listen and let us know what you think.
0: Thank you very much, uh, Paul. I'm now going to hand over to um, Noe. Zibele, Noe, I can see you unmuted. Fantastic. Noe is a community health worker from Guguletu and part of the People's Health Movement. Thank you very much.
4: Good afternoon, everyone. The the, the impact of, of social media, that made really bad behavior to our community. You know, not lack of information. As you can see, that uh, numbers were increase, increasing every day, uh, starting from May, June, and people were dying because of the ignorance and the wrong information that the people were getting that, no, this thing, this COVID, it's coming from America, it's brought by Chinese, so we are not going to wear masks, you know? And all those kinds of uh, uh, wrong information, lies that uh, uh, we have received, that makes us to have really a bad influence that yeah next year is election maybe the white people want to kill us they want to rule again you know even those uh, information that were flowing around from whatsapp social medias you know uh, that has really an impact to our our townships uh to epa behavior of our 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 community but it's good now that we are starting because if you see a lot of people have died. Uh, if you check the numbers of Gleetu and Kailicha, uh, a lot of people has died. Uh, other people have died because of the fear of all what is flowing around in the social media, not having the right information about this COVID-19. But it's good that now, really the behavior is starting to change. Even people didn't want to wear masks because they will tell you that, no man, this thing of wearing masks, Has impact in our lungs. Uh, We are going to die. And another thing, if you look at the name mask, you cannot even translate in Isikosa. What is, uh, when you said people just wear masks, man, just prevent yourself and wear masks. No, I will tell you that. No, we don't want to wear masks because how, what is the mask in in Isikosa? Then I will say Isifonio. When I say Isifonio, they will say, no, that's a Zulu name. That's a Zulu uh, 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 translation. We don't have even translation. Translate you must in its course. So that means there is a propaganda in this whole thing. But what is in what is good now is that the behavior has really changed a little bit. And if you can see the numbers, uh, people are really trying whatever uh, with the information that they are receiving and with the training that we are doing. You know, even the, if, if you talk to to the professional. I believe talking to one of the paramedics here in Yang East. Right? Then this this girl told me that, hey, you know, we, we will go to school and learn and learn. I'm a paramedic. I've gone four years, five years doing the course. Now uh, there's this name, Quarantine. Where does this name come from? You know, so there was a lot of confusion, but it's good that through awarenesses, and the training that are taking place in our areas is going slowly, but people are, 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 are taking it serious now because a lot of people will lose. A lot of people have died, most our seniors. So our youth really, they started to take this thing serious because at the end of the day, it's our all people, our seniors, because you will see on the streets, even the soccer clubs that want to play, in, the, in, in stage four and five, they want to force playing their soccer and do sports and everything. But when you talk to them, they will not listen to you unless you phone the police so that they can chase them. But now the attitude really changed a little bit uh, through the training that you will receive. We have received training with your trainings here in Kupletu, as PHM, and in in Filipe. In uh, it's good to do this training because now. People are trying to even to differentiate because you will, there is COVID-19 name. Yes, this corona is killing us. What is this corona? People don't know even what is this corona. Yes, it's a virus. You know, when you, you give them a platform in training to explain, you will find out that people don't know even what is this. Even myself, you know, I cannot even explain until there will be professionals like doctors who come and teach us about this coronavirus, you know, because our, our, our mindset was really, normal. I mean the Chinese brought this; they want to kill us. They want to take over South Africa and all these kinds of things. Yeah. But what is good about it now, those who are trained, really, they make impact to our community of going back and go and do awarenesses in their areas. What is important, and what is good about this thing is that people t- can just face today. Because if you send people, you ask people why you don't want to go to the, the quarantine site, they will tell you no, they want to kill us. Because even the cases, people that we've we, we interviewed that have been there, they will tell you no, uh, there's no enough food there, uh, there is no medication. So what's the use going there? I can use my cultural remedy. You know, so the importance of doing trainings is to tell people that, okay, you are at home, it's better for you when you don't want to go to the quarantine place, just be in a separate room. We know that it's difficult because you will find out other families have eight, nine members in the family and it's a ne? Forum place, four-room place a, a, a house. Then if you said, Somebody must quarantine in the one room. You're using the same one toilet, you know? So, the importance of having the training is to go back to the roots that we've been taught about washing hands. You cannot have sanitizer because if you, I'm doing awareness here in Kukule to loud speaking and all those things, they will say, okay, you said we must use sanitizer, we must use cheek. We don't have it. But if you have soap and cheek, and clean up your windows and your door, your handles, and see that your covers are cleaned. You know, just the basic things, you know, that needs to tell. And let our people understand, really, what is this virus all about? Let our children also understand, when they go play outside, when they come into the house, they must wash their hands. And wash their hands with the soap. The importance of this whole cleanliness and to prevent and have e-intervention. It's really to wash your hands and have cheek. You cannot have an excuse of I, 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 I'm poor, I'm a working class, I don't have even a bleach. Bleach is only 10 rand. You convince the community even in the training that, guys, let us have cheek in our in bleach in our houses. Let us see that we are doing this. Even before I can go to the clinic and observe social distance, I must try and remind myself every time here at home because this is a new thing to everyone. You know, sometimes I even forget when house, when I'm, 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 I'm on my street, then I'll run back again and go first the mask. You understand? So, what is important about the whole uh, thing is that the, the, leave the bad things and the lies, you know, just let the people know that this thing is is here. And what is important that let us be aware and be conscious and help those that are trained and go help others in the clinics when there is social grant, when there's pension, help our senior citizens. There are even organizations that we are partner with that are, are, are distributing masks, you know, so that everyone can know that this is not a propaganda. Uh, Awareness is very important. Everyone needs to work together so that at the end, of and convince them that uh, we're going to live with this virus. We don't know how long, but the time that the virus, virus is between us, let us be conscious, let us do the basic things, let us remind ourselves, let us remind each other every time that the importance of having masks, even the problem that we are having now, I'm not going to talk about politics and the taxes. That must be full, you know. It comes to the confusing even now when people are saying, "Okay, Mbalula has said ten people uh, pay taxes. It was good, but it was a problem to the taxi owners, you know." But now the taxes are full. They live. They they get fifteen fifteen people in the taxi. But when I once myself. I'm taking a taxi to Winpeg. I must see that the driver has a sanitizer before I take it. But what about the people that don't even uh, uh, have the cards to confront the, 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 the taxi driver that, where is your sanitizer? You know, you confront the taxi driver and then you have to even to educate in the right manner, the passengers that are with you in the taxi. That right? Please guys, the taxi is full cool. now. Let us open the windows. You know, they will tell you no. Why we must open the windows? Because you said the virus is it, 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 gonna be with us. It's gonna flow amongst us when uh, we get cold. So it's good that you close the windows so that uh, the virus do not get... No, the importance just impacts why we must, we must open windows so that we can get fresh air. We don't know each other in the taxi and we don't know who's sick, who's have any chronic illness, so it will be good that we open the windows. You, you, you approach them in the right way, you know, because community can just be in that other manner with you. But when we have a good approach with them and say, what is the importance of opening the windows when the taxi is full? So that they will fully understand. And they, if you explain to them in the right manner, they will carry that when they enter to the taxi next time. They will, When you are not there, they will confront even the taxi driver that, do you have a sanitizer? Can we open the window? Can we do that? What is lacking like our communities that each one teach one. Let us all the information that we have not keep for ourselves. Let us share the information to our, to, to the community at large because we know if you are talking about the health system, before even this COVID uh, virus came, we had the problem with our health system, but we are not going to fix those things now. What is important that we prevent that our people don't die every day, don't die with, with the numbers that we've seen in July, June, July, or when we have funerals even during the week, weekend, you know. So uh, all I'm trying to say is that training awareness, it is very important that those who have information share the information amongst it is very difficult, I know. Even the seniors, when you tell them when it, 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 it is, it's first of the month, they go to fetch their pension money, they will just want to rush in and get in so that they can get their money and come out. But when you tell them in the right manner that, no, here is your chair, here is your chair, because all the shopping malls now are, are prioritizing our seniors. And just talk to them in the right way and tell them that your money is there, it's not going to finish and no one is going to take your money. Your money is yours. Just wait for your time and get in um, so that next time you will see the same face, having a good attitude towards the coronavirus. I think that's all that I want to say. Uh, preventing is better Wonderful. than cure. Thank you so much, Noi. That was fantastic. Thanks. So let's come to the end
0: of our presentations. We've got a little bit of time for input from participants. Some folks have been uh, participating in the Google Docs kind of sharing their experiences of um, what's not true. Can people raise their hands if they have any questions charities issues that they want to raise? I wanted to ask a question coming from the SRJC of Ponso saying um, what do you think the particular burden is on women of of misinformation and fake news and how does how does this?" In your experience, you know, women needing to get, you know, come into the clinics for contraception, bringing their children for immunization, Ponso? That's
1: a great question, Marion. And I think the burden, again, it's, uh, if there's not a, a correct information that has been set out or that is out there in the public discourse, what happens is that, uh, for instance, security guards then have the power to turn women away. Mm-hmm. I've heard so many stories during this lockdown of women being turned away at the gate because the security, they come for, whether it's an abortion or um, for contraceptives or whatever sexual reproductive health services they're coming from. And then the security guard is like, I know, especially during level five lockdown, you know, because it was more stringent then. And the security guard is like, no, the service is not available because we're in lockdown, right? Whereas uh, from the top, we're hearing the health minister and we're hearing government saying that there is no... Um, the, like these services are continuing despite it being locked down, however, that information is not tri- is not being trickled back i actually this is one of the uh, uh, um, one of the topics I discussed on notating fM and I actually got inboxes on Facebook of people saying oh wow i didn 't know um, uh, can I have a link to the recording because I tried to go to the hospital for X, Y, Z, but I was turned back at the gate because they said this. So I want the recording so I can play it for the security guard. So he lets me in. So, and it's not necessarily that the security guard is trying to bar access to the services, but it is that he's not equipped with the correct information and therefore uh, then finds himself being the barrier to access to healthcare for women, particularly young women, because uh, imagine uh, a middle-aged man, to him, being on contraceptives during lockdown can, that might not seem like something that should be a priority. However, that means there is a question around the communications that happen within the hospital. Or is that because of outsourcing of security personnel, is the hospital itself then uh, informing the security companies about what the rules are? To access to healthcare. And so we're seeing that these effects, or not even where there is somebody who's barring the service, but women or girls or people with uteruses themselves thinking that some services are not available because we are in a hard lockdown, because we are facing a global pandemic. This is not a priority. The assumption that this is not a priority. And therefore, we need to create an, uh, an enabling environment where there is no assumption that information is known and that we offer the information in the most accessible ways, in different uh, ways that it's accessible. So through digital advertising and awareness campaigns, through segments like the Muzurin FM, because we cannot take it for granted that people will know that they can't do this. There's also issues around soldiers who were stopping people when they were trying to go and get their medication. And then we ask ourselves, what is happening on a community and grassroots level around um, awareness around you can still get certain services. You still can test for HIV during during, uh, the COVID lockdown. You can uh, still get your treatment. You have the right to ask for treatment for three to six months because we are in a lockdown and, 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 and These things so we cannot take it for granted that people know this information and that it should be offered to them So in this case, we are not seeing bad information, but we're seeing a lack of communication of the facts or the truth in uh, In these cases and and, and it, it's, it's quite a big problem as well
0: Thanks, Ponso. I can just hand over maybe to Peter to conclude and maybe think through some next
2: steps. Great, thank you very much. We're coming to the end of this webinar, which we hope will be the first of uh, several steps in trying to find out and overcome many of the myths that are out there, some of which are on the screen now. So what we've been hearing a lot is that it is important to first translate if there isn't a vocabulary for all the words to do with COVID, it's next to impossible to explain to the majority of people in this country what is um, going on, all the issues, so that many of the um, requests for social distancing, masks, hand sanitizer, actually come over as an imposition, some form of um, repression that definitely has um, been seen in many areas. Secondly, clearly, we have to um, take the information that we can from trusted sources and clearly the World Health Organization, the National Department of Health and some of the more respected um, mainstream media. The other thing we've heard um, is around um, the importance of fact-checking. Uh, we've heard from Paul about What's Crap, also linked to um, the Africa check. Um, and we as a group are involved in the uh, COVID-19 People's Coalition, the health working group. And we request any um, examples of misinformation, um, of uh, bad stories, things that are uh, spreading confusion. If you can let any of um, the people involved know, we're going to do what we can to overcome and respond to the stories that come out. There is something called the Ministerial Advisory Committee on Community uh, Participation in COVID, uh, MAC, that has been set up working with the National Department of Health. And one of the people's health movement um, members, comrades, uh, Dr. Lydia Kencross is on that. And on the work that NOE was saying, that it's not just social media, it's not just internet and the like, it's what actually people are saying in communities throughout the country. NOE has been organizing a number of community training courses that a few of us from the People's Health Movement have um, run uh, last week in to actually earlier today in Filippi. So starting to try and develop um, com- community health promoters, each one teach one, being supported through the National Department of Health uh, um, and the, uh, funded by the Solidarity Fund. So doing what we can, both through mainstream media, through the sort of um, social media that Paul talked about in What's Crap, and also at community level, trying to promote the information through the work of Mac, we're trying to uh, find ways to require this sort of training and information at taxi ranks, working through churches like uh, the ZCC, when the school's going back, working through schools where the children can take the information to their parents. Um, in closing, there's an idea that um, we will turn this discussion into a podcast and a video to put on YouTube. If anyone here has got other ideas or suggestions or comments or would like to be involved in that, please do um, contact us. Um, the coordinator of this as as you know, just putting up Marion's email there. Um, and with that, thank you very much for me handing back to Marion
0: just want to say thank you to everybody for attending, uh, in particular uh, PHM comrades Annalina and Tinashe for setting this up, to Melo from Section 27 for doing the, the advertising and the graphic, to all our panellists, uh, Noe, Paul, Ponso, and Peter, um, and for you for all attending. Please do be in touch if you want to continue to do some work in this area and looking forward to creating better information and truth to disrupt these uh, n- narratives that are, are undermining us. Thank you very much for attending. Goodbye.